Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we take you into the field, into those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that move you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And who knows, maybe you will find the answer to a question you have not come to ask yet. At any rate, today, we broadcast to you from the sumptuous living room of my apartment here in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some as the hottest city in America. And we are going to be discussing how to turn adversity into an asset. Look, I know many of our listeners are entrepreneurs, so you see You ride that roller coaster. Some of us are side hustlers. So we know that there's a reason why we're looking for something beyond the nine to five job. Whatever it is, there's an adversity there. And we want to not only fix the adversity, we want to take this one step further and we want to use the adversity, turn it into an asset and put it to work for us. And the person we have today, Sometimes here on Business Creators Radio, we get into topics related to things like resonance repatterning, how generational cycles affect our success as entrepreneurs. We've done mindfulness. We've even done an episode where we've spoken about my interactions with spirits from the other world who influenced my journey. Today, we have with us Lewis Raymond Taylor from all the way across the pond. And he is going to share something very interesting with us. But let me just tell you briefly about him, and I'm going to turn him loose. Despite suffering sexual abuse, mental illness, addiction, bereavement, debt, and a suicide attempt, and even spending multiple times in prison, Lewis Raymond Taylor is now a three times Forbes featured entrepreneur, TEDx speaker, and owner of a $25 million coaching business. Now, before I introduce Lewis and have him tell more about his story, I just want to share one thing. We've had at least four or five guests on the Business Creators Radio Show over the years who are ex-convicts. And I fully support what we can do to help folks who have perhaps made mistakes or have been caught up in something and want to move past it, move above it, turn that adversity into an asset and use Perhaps those skills, perhaps what did work for them, but do it for good. And to stay out of the recidivism trap, stay out of the trap of always be second place, and to essentially create your own destiny. I know one story I can tell you real quick, and he's been on our show at least twice. Mike Pashota, who is the author of From From Prison to Prosperity. When I first met him, I saw his creation story about how when he and his wife were first starting their business, they were digging through dumpsters, finding stuff that they could clean up and sell on eBay. And I'm thinking, 
okay, I've heard of bootstrapping, but what's going on with this? And then I found out that he was an ex-convict. Oh, now I got it. So you have the system that will not only sit you down, but then it won't let you stand up again. So I love these stories. I love these backgrounds because they provide examples of people who are in that situation for how to break out of that trap, create their own destiny, and be truly free. Now, if you haven't been in prison, you've had some sort of adversity likely that has made you feel like you were confined, that you were not in charge of your own decisions, that you were hitting a ceiling that was actually lower than you standing upright. And you're thinking, how the hell do I ever get out of this? And how do I achieve real success with what it is I'm doing, starting from the intersection of my brilliance and passion? So I want to say that on a personal note to let you know how much this means to me as an individual and how important it is to the mission and vision of the Business Creators Radio Show. And now that I spilled my guts, Lewis Raymond Taylor is going to spill his. Lewis, come on in. The weather's fine. How are you doing, everybody? Uh, it's nice to be here. Um, yeah, I should imagine it's very warm. I'm actually not in London at the moment. I'm actually in uh, Spain, which I'd love to say sunny Spain, but uh, yep. it's actually very cold here at the moment in the winter. But well, uh, I'm a bit of a digital nomad, so I have spent the last three years in Bali. So not so cold over there but yeah i would uh, i'd love to experience some of the heat that you guys experience at some point my uh my new newly i'm newly wed to my wife and All she right. is from miami florida and uh we're just going through the immigration process so i will soon be meeting you well i'm not necessarily meeting you but be meeting you are or y'all as you call it uh <laughs> over across the other side of the pond well, welcome aboard. We're always we're always looking for more of the best. And uh, and so here's what we do. Uh, our listeners know that I read off the official bio and then I turn it over to the guest and have you share some of the story. And I think today that's really going to be a very pertinent approach because you've got me really curious. So tell us a bit more, mm-hmm. Lewis, before we dive into uh, today's topic about so a bit about your journey and what's brought you yeah. to where you are today, serving business yeah. creators from your intersection of your mm-hmm. brilliance and your passion. Absolutely. When you were talking, you were mentioning about there's uh, multiple people that have been to prison that uh, you know become successful. Um, for me, that comes down to two things. Um, there's this mindset of a certain type of person that sort of pushes against the grain, um, and you know there's square pegs in the round holes, as uh, Steve Jobs used to refer to them as the misfits. Yeah. You know, the people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world and usually <laughs> do, you know, those that quote, right? Uh-huh. And I genuinely feel that, you know, there is a lot of misplaced entrepreneurs in this world that do end up in prison because they don't fit in. Um, they don't uh, abide by the rules, which neither do entrepreneurs. And they find themselves caught up in, you know, opportunities that, uh, become immediately available which might become drugs or you know such like um because entrepreneurship isn't you know something that's widely spoken about or or taught or at least definitely wasn't you know when i was in school and i should imagine it still isn't really now it might be touched upon but uh vaguely i mean i even went back and did a started to do a, a university degree which is the same as a college degree um in business management and entrepreneurship and even in that there wasn't much entrepreneurship in there it was just you know teaching you about old school sales and marketing 
right. strategies, but not what it actually takes to become an entrepreneur. So I do find that there are a lot of, because I mean, I was even expelled from school for refusing to accept the authority of staff. I'll never, I'll never forget that exact line in which they wrote in the letter, because I just looked at the world differently. You know, I just didn't fit in in that way. And, and that caused me to um, just not abide by society's rules um, because I wanted to do my own thing. You know, and I, yeah. and I, I, did, I wanted to push against the grain and unfortunately that went down the wrong path. But I said two things, you know, because the other thing is, is trauma. You know, a lot of these people that are in prison, you know, 99% of them um, have had serious traumatic experiences that have caused them to use drugs or go off the rails or self-sabotage um, and not allow that entrepreneurial spirit to be, you know, um focused in the right direction because you know they, they don't have the right mindset or you know they don't have enough self-esteem or confidence or it you know it could be a whole host of things and that's that's my story so let me try and share it in brief-ish form it's hard to do it in very brief but so I grew up with an alcoholic father and my mum was very emotionally detached and my mum wouldn't really cuddle me or tell me she loved me much and or at all not that I can remember anyway and my dad was very verbally and physically abusive. Yeah. Um, and would say things like, you're a buffoon, you never amount to anything, you're stupid. And, and you know, when you're young, you, you take that stuff on and you form beliefs, you know. We actually form our belief system um, normally before the age of seven years old. So by the age of seven years old, you know, we're like a sponge and we're using our experiences to form meaning. And if we get told you're stupid and you're a buffoon, you never amount to anything, then that's pretty much the identity that you're going to hold for the rest of your life. And it's, you can unpick it, but it, it becomes more challenging. And um, I used to literally run to my room and look in the mirror and punch myself in the head because I was so angry at myself being such a bad kid. And that just, you know, went on through my life of having this identity of being this bad child. And I was naughty because I also had this, like I mentioned, this entrepreneurial don't fit in kind of way about me. I remember my mum told me she came to to visit me in nursery, which is like must have been four years old. Um, it was like a come and see your son and daughter at nursery day. And everyone yeah. was sitting on the carpet quietly reading. And there was me banging a drum, singing happy birthday in a clown costume. Um, <laughs> so just <laughs> I've been very different from day one. Um, but what happened is, you know, I. I started causing trouble in my family household. They basically gave up on me and ring fenced me from the family. And that's, that was their word. We're going to ring fence you. So you don't affect your little brother. Cause I had a younger brother. I started selling drugs. He was selling drugs for me. He was getting into fights and they were like, look, we've got to, we've got to essentially cut you off. Not, not financially. They weren't giving me any money, but just not allow you to make any more, you know, heartache on the family. So I started hanging around in the streets selling more drugs. And by the age of 14, I had an ASBO, which is called an antisocial behavior order, where, where you're, you're, at, you're on a curfew and you're banned from certain areas and stuff like that. By the age of 15, I was expelled from school. And by the age of 18, I was in a young offenders institution, um, which is a prison for young people. And I was just very angry, um, very angry for the way that I felt about myself. Uh, the way that I'd been treated, 
Um, another part of the story was when I was 11. I mean, it's hard to tell it chronologically sometimes because there's so much in it. But when I was 11, I wasn't getting this love at home that I felt that I needed. So I kind of somehow subconsciously sought that out through other means. And I decided I wanted to be an actor. And um, my mum was supportive enough in that sense, not emotionally, but practically. She, she, you know, she, she, she allowed me to do acting classes and stuff like that. And, um, and then at 11 years old, I was sexually abused. So that, obviously, that with the abuse from my father and everything just got combined and the bad behaviour, it just sort of spiralled from there. And then my dad would hit me sometimes, not all the time. It wasn't like he would beat me with a belt every night, but he would, he would definitely, um, you know, hit me every so often. And I remember looking up at him thinking, I could never hit you because I love you. I couldn't even bear it, bear the thought of hurting you. Um, but you're hitting me, so maybe you don't love me. And, I, and then when I was 18 years old, I found my first girlfriend and um, fell head over heels in love. She's my first love, and she used to invite me around her family household, and we would watch, you know, watch the TV and have dinner together, and I was like, holy shit, this is what a real family is like. I'd never had that. Um, I didn't even know that that was what was supposed to be happening this whole time. Um, I just got my dinner sometimes, you know, when I was allowed it and went upstairs to my bedroom and ate on my own, you know? Yeah. But um, I I'd sort of found what I needed and I felt like I, that, that need had been met. And then one night we, we got drunk and she told me she cheated on me. And I smashed up her kitchen, saw red, completely went crazy, pulled out a kitchen drawer the drawer fell on the floor and I looked down and saw a six inch kitchen knife and picked it up and sliced both sides of my throat and uh, literally clipped an artery and blood started spurting through my both sides of my throat. Whoa, you, you really yeah. cut it close there. And I didn't yeah. mean to be punny that way, but I'm just yeah. saying that uh, the, the nature of the cuts that you gave, you are so lucky to be here today. Yeah. Well, least, yeah, and uh, I'm even luckier because the paramedics came and I start to fight the paramedic, paramedics. You know, that's how insane I was. I, I literally was insane. Um, and, and then eventually they had to arrest me and they had to pin me down and stitch my neck up. And then I ripped everything out, you know, all the cannulas from my arms eventually when, they, when, they, when, I, when I calmed down and I ran back up to her house and I must have looked like this crazy guy. I was literally like dripping with blood, had these stitches in my neck and I knocked on her door and I, and I didn't say a word. I just didn't even know what to say. But, she, but yeah, I got, I, I, then, I, then I got sectioned under the Mental Health Act. And then over the next couple of years, I was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, emotionally unstable personality disorder, and bipolar type 2. So three different mental health diagnoses from three different psychologists, uh, psychiatrists, sorry. And even one was prescribed antipsychotics. Um, so at this point, I'm thinking, I am really bad. You know, everyone's telling me I'm bad. And But funnily enough, up, up until the age of 18, I'd never actually fought back. So when my dad used to hit me, you'd have heard the fight, flight or freeze Um what would you call that? Um, model fight or flight. People react to, yeah, fight or flight, fight, flight or freeze. When people are in a dangerous situation, they'll either um, fight back 
they'll either run or they'll freeze like a rabbit in a headlight will freeze um for example and um i remember when my dad used to hit me i'd freeze when that sexual abuse happened i, I froze and um I, I used to be very uh because i was involved with drugs and gangs i guess on a on a minor level not like I'm not talking about the Bloods of the Crips or anything, but I'm talking about my local gangs. Um, I would get involved with fights, but I would never fight back. I would just let people jump me, kick me, whatever, and then I'd just get back up. I'd never fight back. And then there was this one time when I was 18, I decided randomly, it sort of spontaneously happened. It was almost like an involuntary convulsion. I went up to this guy that had jumped me a couple of weeks before, and I didn't mean to, but I just punched him in the face. And um, we had this fight. I won the fight. I got kicked out by the bouncers. And I felt like super, a superhuman, like a superman. You know, I felt so powerful. Yeah. And yeah. I felt like I'd taken my power back. And I, this love that I'd been looking for from my dad, which I didn't get, the love that I was looking for from the acting, I was sexually abused and that got derailed, the criminality and everything and the attention, even if it was negative attention, wasn't giving me it. But the fighting kind of gave me that. And then obviously the love of the girlfriend completely got ripped away from me, you know, through that scenario. But fighting, for some reason, gave me that significance. It gave me that I'm enough. I feel, I feel good within myself because otherwise I felt worthless, you know. And I kind of got addicted. It sounds crazy, but I got addicted to fighting. So I became one of those guys that go around, you know, staring at people looking for a fight. And yeah. now I understand why those people do that. You know, you I guess there's people that think, why do people go around fighting for that? Like, why are they going around, you know, staring at people looking for trouble? And I understand now. It's because you get buzzed from it. And I was also getting the um, reputation from it as well. Like, oh, did you hear what Lewis did last night? He did this, he did that. It was fueling me. It was feeding me. And, yeah, I mean, more trauma happened. I walked in and found my dad dead one day. Um, I went to prison three times. Um, and I would just be fighting, selling drugs, causing complete uh, mayhem, mayhem everywhere I went. And that's to, that's to you know, say it lightly. Um, and that about brings me up to the, the time in which there was a bit of a change. So is there anything you want to say or share before I jump into segment two? Of well, uh, yeah, let's do segment two, and then we want to get some lessons out of this. But there's one thing I want to say. Gee, my big rebellion was that uh, I recognized pretty quickly into my corporate career that I was going to be forever labeled, quote unquote, unemployable. Hmm. And what did that mean? Well, it... Uh, you know, it's um I was I was told at uh I was told at one point uh, about two years into working for this company that by my supervisor that he had gotten feedback that apparently somebody I'd never even met within the company uh had some conversation with me that was very painful for them because they said I really struggled with understanding the company's mission. And I and uh that was kind of the point where I bring this up because it was almost one of those epiphany type moments where you just get to the point where being put in a box that other people draw for you is enough. And I said, yeah, well, when the mission of the company is to exploit me and then blame me for it. Yeah, I have a little bit of a problem with that. 
Yeah, we're still going to go down too well. <laughs> yeah. It worked out in your advantage, so you've turned the adversity into an asset, so that's all good. Yeah, yeah, but let's hear let's hear about part two, and then we're gonna then we're gonna turn about create talk about creating these assets. I'm we're looking forward to this. Of course. So what happened is the third time I went to prison, I was in a taxi. Well, I was so drunk, I jumped to the front of a taxi queue, not realizing there was a taxi queue. Just got straight in a taxi. A guy started shouting and pointing at my face. I still to this day can't remember the guy's face. All I can think of is my dad's face. Now, that's not an excuse. I take full responsibility for what I did. Um, But I know that that guy triggered me that day. Um, It's kind of irrelevant, but I just like to share sometimes what goes on behind the scenes of these thuggish, violent criminals. You know, it's not just these, oh, I'm going to be violent. I'm going to be a criminal today. It's like. No, it's it's not like that at all. This is a complex, um, sequential set of traumas and experiences and limiting beliefs and, you know, wants and needs that are trying to be fulfilled that just get wrapped up. And when you put drugs and alcohol, and I mean, I was a cocaine addict and an alcoholic at this point, um, it's very difficult to make the right decisions. (laughs) And uh, I, I kept on making the wrong ones. And in this scenario, this guy shouted at me and I swung a punch at him and missed. I was that drunk and I swung the second punch and I hit him and, I, and he hit the, the ground so hard that he hit, I heard a huge thud and his face hit the ground first and he didn't move an inch. And I looked over him and there was this thick, really thick, dark, slow trickle of blood coming out of his head. And I thought I'd killed him. Um, I looked to my left. I saw the security camera. I thought, fuck. I'll be honest. The first thing that went through my head is I ruined my life. Of course, you know, I've ruined this guy's life. But the first selfish thought was I've ruined my own life. I put my hands up, took my coat off. I put it over him. I waited for the police to arrive because I knew I was banged to rights, we say, in the UK. Mm-hmm. I, knew I, was, I knew I was in trouble. Yeah. Police arrived. They put me in the back of the car. And then the ambulance arrived, but all people were rushing around and there's this huge group of people, everyone trying to help. Um, even my friend who was with me, he was up at the window. I was like, is he dead? Is he dead? He was like, I don't know. I can't find out. Blah, blah, blah. And all night in the cells, they wouldn't tell me if he was dead. Even the next day in the interview, they wouldn't tell me he was dead. Turned out he was in a coma for three days and he had a brain hemorrhage. And... Uh, I got sent to, they, they were going to give me three years in prison, but because I pleaded guilty at the scene, we have a thing in the UK where you get a third, a third off if you plead guilty to avoid going to trial. But because I pleaded guilty at the scene, which is quite rare, um, they gave me half off. So I got 18 months in prison. So I got sentenced to prison for 18 months. And um, I rung up my friend when I got in there on the, on the pay phones, uh, not pay phones, but the phones you're allowed to use. And um said what people said about me they said well you're on the front page of the paper they called you violent and boorish (laughs) didn't even know what boorish meant but apparently they're referring to me as a pig like a bull yeah Yeah, Um, i got it and uh all sorts of different things like paralytic man jailed for q rage and all this stuff i was like yeah whatever and then there was this one post on facebook my friend charlie who had posted a picture of me outside the courtroom the day that I was sentenced because he took a picture of me. Because at that stage, we're just so 
our head was so warped that that was almost like a special occasion. That was almost like a, let's take a picture because we're at court, you know, it's fucking warped. I was almost proud of it. Um, take a picture. He took a picture of me the day I was getting sentenced and he posted it upside a picture next to a picture of me outside the exact same courtroom in the exact same court seven years before with the caption above it, nothing changes. And that was it. That clicked. Because uh, I thought at first, I thought, how dare he? Like, he's just as bad as I am. Who's he to tell me nothing changes? And the fact that it was him that told me it, I thought, fuck, there's something behind that. Because if this was some, you know, person with their life together telling me that, I'd be like, you know, fair enough. But he's saying that. And then I realised that I've been blaming everything and everyone around me for why my life was so difficult. And I'd refused to take any sort of responsibility for myself. And I realized it's so simple now, but, um, you know, in hindsight, you know, in hindsight is simple, but at the time it can be, you know, completely blinding. But I realized that if I wanted my life to change, I needed to change myself. And I got it in that moment. I got it. I need to change myself because I tried to make changes before, like, of course, I tried to take less, less cocaine or I tried to not hang around with those people or I try, you know, but those things always lead back to the same result because I was the same person. I even tried moving country, but it took me with me, you know, <laughs> that, that was the problem. So I had to change myself and I started small. I started to read. I started to go to the gym. I started to go to the education department. Um, I eventually uh, enrolled into a RAPT program, which was Rehabilitation of Addictive Prisoners Trust, which was a mini rehab program. Um, And I just started to see changes in my life and almost realized, wow, this this can work. And during this rehab program, there was this guy that came in and um, spoke about rehab after after prison. And I was I was thinking. No, once I've done my time, I'm I'm leaving, I'm done, kind of thing. And I've already made these changes and I feel like I'm in a good place. And I was doing my maths and English uh, exams whilst I was in there, because I do have some good resources. And these were functional skills, uh, level one and two. And that's in the Eng- in English, it's the equivalent of about a 10 or an or an 11 year old. And I was 24 at the time. That gives you an idea of my level of education. And I was doing these maths and English exams and I got so scared that I punched a wall um, because I was just so scared of being revealed as being this buffoon, this stupid person that my dad had always, always told me that I was, you know. And they took me to the hospital and on the way to hospital, I looked out the window and they drove past my old area, you know, where I'm from, my yeah. town. And I saw everything and it just, in a flash, everything came back. It was like I'd never even been to prison. It had like I'd never made a single change. And I knew in that moment that my journey, because I thought my journey had finished and I'd changed myself and I was ready to start anew. But I knew in that moment that my journey had just begun because I was nowhere near changed. I just started to discover that change was possible. And this guy came into this wrapped program and he shared about rehab. And he was like, we've got a certain amount of scholarship places. You can apply for it. You have to do an interview. Only a few people get it. It was £20,000, $25,000. But they pay for it for a select number of people who really could benefit from it. And uh, I applied and I got it. 
And they picked me up from the prison gates and took me directly to a six months fully intensive rehabilitation treatment center where they broke me down and built me back up. Because I yeah. thought they were going to teach me how to not drink and not take drugs. They didn't mention that. They taught me about myself. They taught they taught me about, you know, they they helped me share my story. They helped me unravel what was causing me to react in this way and to feel this way and to think this way and behave this way. Because they knew that the symptom was the drugs and the alcohol. That was simply what was on the surface. But what was the cause? What, why was I using drink and drugs? And why was I acting violently? Who was I angry at? Um, so obvious now when you, when you get into personal development and, uh, and you can unravel these things and gain this awareness. But, you know, I, I didn't even allow it to enter my mind before. And even in rehab, it was, I was quite challenging. For the first few weeks, I didn't really engage. Um, you know, I remember what, there was this one time where I was in group counseling session. I had my arms crossed and I said, look, I know what you lot are trying to do. You're trying to brainwash me. You just want me to think like you. You want me to be an average, boring person like you. And I'm not listening to it. You know, I know better. I didn't say I know best, but like, I was, I know this, I know that. You know, and I was acting like I knew more than them. And that was my defense mechanism of not wanting to be stupid, you know, because I was so scared of feeling stupid, I would, I would be arrogant instead to try and counteract it and mask it. And um, I said, you're trying to brainwash me. I know what you're trying to do. And they said, Lewis, your best thinking, your absolute best thinking has put you into prison and now into rehab. Maybe your brain needs a good wash. Yeah. And I thought, she's got me. I can't say anything bad to that. And I realized my way wasn't working. It's like no matter what I told myself, my way wasn't working. So the only option I had was to try somebody else's way. And I started to engage in things they were doing and talking about my story and talking about my feelings and doing my affirmations and writing my journal and doing all the stuff that I thought was complete and utter rubbish at the time. <clears throat> but I started to notice changes. And after six months, I walked out of that place and my head was clear. But even then I had a journey to go ahead on. I was doing drugs and alcohol meetings every single day for months. Sometimes I would do three in a day. I moved away. This rehab was, uh, you know, hours and hours away from where I lived. And I, I stayed there and used welfare to be able to get myself, a, you know, a rented room and, and, and uh -huh. stay there permanently. So I didn't have to go back to where I was from. And, and I started really humble beginnings. And um, I was in one of these drug and alcohol meetings one day. And this is when we're getting into turning adversity into an asset now. Yeah. I was in one of these drug and alcohol meetings now at one, one day. And the homeless guy who was on heroin came off the street, first meeting, came in and asked, asked me if I could help him. And I thought, excuse my French, but what, what the fuck are you asking me for? <laughs> You're like, I can't help you. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one of you, mate. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm also a drug addict. And he was like, oh, all right, all right, I've never been here before. And I felt a bit bad. So I was like, okay, well, you can get a cup of tea over there. There's some leaflets on the table over there. I'll just go and take a chair and someone will share a story and they'll, you can also have a cigarette break halfway through. Yeah. And as he was walking away, I thought, actually, I've just helped that guy. And later on in my probation, which, yeah, you call it probation over your, your end as well. Um, I had to do voluntary work as a part of my probation. And I started to do voluntary work at homeless shelters and 
um, substance abuse places, ironically, and all sorts of different and job job center places. And I started to help people, and I started to realize it felt felt good. I was like, ah, it feels good to help people. I've I've never helped anyone enough to actually have that feeling. Right. So I so I thought, ah, I can help people, and it feels good to help people. So I looked on social media and looked for the miserable people. This is literally what I did. And I messaged him and I said, do you want to meet up for a coffee and talk? And I met up for a coffee and I spoke to these people and they really enjoyed the conversation. I said, well, do you know what? Let's meet up for the next six weeks. Same time, same date, same place for the next six weeks. And I'll just see if I can help you. And at the end of those six weeks, in, you know, not quite in comparison to the work I do today, but in comparison to sort of where I was at that point, I felt like I'd completely changed their lives. You know, I helped one one woman uh, open a, yeah, a, a pet business that she'd always wanted to do, which was really just like dog grooming and dog walking. But she was so lit up from the passion from that. I helped a, a woman overcome an eating disorder by, fight, by, by digging a little bit deeper and revealing that it came from the loss of her father abandoning her and her having a certain element of control in her life by controlling her food. I helped um a one woman leave an abusive relationship that she was scared of doing because she didn't you know she, she was just scared you know but she didn't want to be with him and i thought to myself i've just been given the world's best training i didn't know it was called i actually called myself a personal development mentor at the time yeah and then i googled it and realized that there was this whole industry in life coaching and I realized that I'd been blessed with so much knowledge because not only had I had this personal transformation in my own life where I'd got clean and sober, I'd worked out all my own demons and, you know, changed my entire identity. I'd, all, all the blocks that I'd had, I'd started to work at, working on you know, reversing them all, which is a challenge in itself. But I'd sat in these, I sat in rehab for six months sat in prison, did rehab in there. I'd done drug and alcohol meetings for three to, three to six months, sometimes three a day. And I'd listened to everyone's stories and their denial and their relapses and their breakthroughs and their fears and their limiting beliefs. And I absorbed it all and realized that I'd been blessed with a gift to help people. And it wasn't long before I realized I could start a business out of it. I shared my story online wasn't long before it was in a local paper. Um, started doing some basic, basic social media strategies that weren't really that common six years ago when I was doing them. They are now, but they weren't then. And um, built a six-figure coaching business in seven months. And I couldn't believe it because I was on welfare and I was literally cycling to the laundrette, I don't know if you call it that, but to get my clothes washed with my clothes between my handlebars yeah. $50 a week on welfare to earning $100,000 in seven months. It blew my mind. And then over the last, you know, over the next three or four years to follow, um, you know, I, I couldn't list out all the, every business step we made, but I brought on a, biz, a brilliant business partner who was a, a coaching trainer. Um, we started moving more into technology um, using things like membership sites and courses rather than one-to-one. -one. And now as it stands today, we have virtual reality, we have an app, we have AI, 
we have a team of 100 people. Like you mentioned at the beginning, the business is worth 25 million. We've helped 7,000 people become coaches because that's now what we do. We're the coaching masters and we help people build their own freedom-based and passion-led online coaching business. Freedom because you get to do it from, from wherever you want. And also it gives you that inner freedom because, you know, you can think, say, or do whatever you want because you're not in a, a corporate job, like you said, conforming to someone else's values and identities and missions and visions and values. Um, and, pa- and, and passion-led because it's something that you can do that's rewarding and fulfilling. And the brilliant thing about coaching is you learn the tools, techniques, models, frameworks to be able to help somebody, but then you do it in any area you want whatsoever. I mean, we've got, you know, your, your standard confidence coaches, empowerment coaches, business coaches, mindset coaches, performance coaches, holistic coaches, health coaches, spirituality coaches. But then you've also got coaches that help um, parents with autistic children or coaches that help people with infertility problems or coaches that help um, nurses who have made a mistake in their career. Like there are niches upon niches that people need support in. And you can, if you've got something you're passionate about, you can build a business around it. And that's what we do. We essentially qualify coaches. So we're an accredited coaching academy and we then help them build the business. So we're an end-to-end solution for them. And that's how we've been able to get 7,000 people into the business and um, getting the great results. And yeah, amongst all that, become a TEDx speaker. I've traveled the world full-time for the last four years. Haven't, um, yeah, I lived in Bali and Dubai and I'm in Europe at the moment. Um, and uh, yeah, I got married to a beautiful, beautiful Venezuelan woman. Um, okay. And just trying to think of all the other cool shit that's happened. <laughs> uh, just life couldn't really be better. You know, I'm, I'm clean and sober. I don't know whether that's a miracle occurred. I cured myself. You know, or the, and yeah. the mental health is gone. You know, I don't know whether that ever you know, ever existed. All I know is those things don't affect me in my life anymore. And um, I owe all of that to just working on myself and taking one step at a time. And I've gone from being in prison seven years ago to being an eight-figure entrepreneur, and it's gone past in a flash. Like yeah. people. Talk- people talk about things spiraling out of control and it's like, Oh, this happened, that happened. And then the next thing, you know, three years have passed and I was, you know, here and, you know, in this really bad place, it can happen in the opposite way. Your life can spiral into control. If you do the right things at the right time, you, you can blink and you can, and your life can be unrecognizable. You know, I thought you could change things about, you know, your behavior, do things differently. I thought you could, change things about your friends that you had or where you lived or what job you had. I didn't think you could change the person that you were. I didn't think you could change the way that you saw the world. I didn't think you could change the way you think and your beliefs and the way that you spoke and the clothes that you wore. I'm a, I am not anywhere. There's nothing left of me that existed seven years ago. And that is unbelievable because I thought if anyone was ever going to change, it wasn't going to be me, but it was. It was me. My mum my said, we know, we, my mum said to me, we all know you're not going to make old bones, Lewis. And that was her way of saying, we know you're going to die young. My mum didn't even think I could change. And right. I didn't think I could change. 
And I have. And that's why I'm so passionate about the coaching masters and the work we do, because I believe it. I've seen it. I've experienced it. It's like there's so many people that think personal development is woo-woo or it's, you know, happy clappy or it's just, you know, this happy clappy. Yeah, something you do in business because it's kind of helpful. No, 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 no. We're talking about paradigm shifts. And what I mean by that is your entire world can look, seem, feel entirely different. Okay, well, folks, if I may. Well, for our listeners, you know, there are some episodes, and uh, you'll discover this as podcast host yourself, where uh, you it feels like you have to have 100 questions ready because your guests are going to give two-word answers, and you have to steer every moment of the journey to get them to where they need to go. Then there are the, then there are the ones where um, I haven't even officially asked Lewis a question yet, and we're already <laughs> three-fourths of the way there, and yet, and yet. There's so much in his story. Now, typically, um, if uh, when somebody does something like this, I interpret it as bulldozing and I cut him off. I've even thrown a few people off the show for doing this. But however, in Lewis's case, in Lewis's case, it's different. Here's why it's different. Uh, What he's done is what we do here at this show is use analogy, metaphor, and applying real-world situations that occurred within his own trajectory to reveal lessons that we can find for our own success. So, and sometimes those of you who hear how I interact with the show know that I seize upon these little things that may be almost blinking, you'll miss it moments or even irrelevant tangents until we have a chance to develop them. But I want to highlight something. Uh, Lewis, you said that you have uh, recently gotten married to a, uh, a lovely lady from Venezuela. Yes. Okay, so you grew up in the United Kingdom, you live in Spain, found a woman in Venezuela? What about what about a woman in your own town? Got a bit bored of them, to be honest. Now I like something a little bit more exotic, <laughs> not something. You admit like it, yeah, can- candidly. Now that, uh, and, and again, um, you know, I live in Las Vegas, and uh, I do a lot of dating outside of Las Vegas. Uh, they, they, may th- they, they may think that's weird. You have 1.7 million people in Las Vegas, and uh, yeah, a friend of mine right now, is uh, he's in Las Vegas, and uh, he's developing a relationship, and it's actually going pretty nicely from what I hear, with a woman in St. George, Utah, which is about, I think, a two-and-a-half-hour drive. Uh, mm-hmm. They take turns visiting each other. You know, it's interesting thing is when you look outside the conf- the confines of your own environment you mm-hmm. find what you're looking for because the parameters the patterns and the expectations that you feel in the place where you are don't exist other places and vice versa there's a certain level different level of openness well, that's why if yeah. you look at if that's why if you look at so many people i don't have an actual percentage on this but it's very high folks who end up living in a place different from where they grew up and in many cases that means immigrating to another country or at least in a country like the united states going to a radically different part from where they came from uh you know what's interesting about nevada here is our current governor grew up in japan and his predecessor grew up in wisconsin well, Nevada is a place where it still has more people that came here from somewhere than grew up here. And I believe that that has something to do with why we are, in fact, in terms of growth, development, being on an upward swing, one of the hottest cities in America. Mm. 
Well, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll make sure I don't bulldoze this one. I'll do this one within three minutes, but I'd love to share yeah. a quick story of how I met Diana, uh, yeah. which is my, my wife. So um, a couple of months before, I'd written down a list of everything I wanted in a partner. And I wrote down it meticulously in the way that she looked, what she liked, um, her age, everything. And it was, and I posted it on Facebook, and it's still there to this day. It was on February 14th. It was on Valentine's Day because I was single, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get clearer, and I'm going to get clarity. And I posted it on Facebook, 2019. I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm going to have to search your profile. You and I are friends. I'm going to have to look that it. up. But go ahead. Do it. I promise you, it's there. Yeah. And um, night. It was like. Nine months later or whatever, something like that, um, I was at speaking at an event and she was in the audience in Barcelona. So she was, she'd come from Miami. So she's Venezuelan, but she lives in Miami because she'd been there for the last 10 years. And I was English, but I was in Barcelona for this event. So we, we were both essentially on holiday in Barcelona. And I met her and I met her in the audience and I started talking with her. and. You know, I invited her out for dinner. And anyway, within three days, I realized she ticked every single last box on my list, even down to the accent that I'd written. I'd even said that I wanted her to have an accent. Like there was so many things that was like, this is the woman. So within three days, I said, don't go back to America. Travel the world with me instead. And I tell you what, that was bloody difficult to do that with a South American family. She had every person in her family shouting down the phone, crying and begging for her to come Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. I, I, I know it by heart, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, but she did stay with me and we traveled the world together. And three years later to the day, we went back to Barcelona and got married. So wow. there's some value in there because if you're not finding the person that you desire, it might just be because you don't know what you're looking for. So I would recommend getting crystal clear around what who that person is to a finite detail because then two things one when you find them you can say there she is no messing around and also when you when you realize someone doesn't meet the criteria don't you can not waste your time and also that reminds me of i think a bob proctor uh, story as well which is something that could be added to this story and then i'll finish is there was once this because I actually found out about this after I'd written this list. It was recently, only on the podcast, actually, someone shared this with me, is they'd actually written their own list, what they wanted in a partner. And I thought, that's so funny, because that's what I did. But apparently this guy wrote a list of everything he wanted into a partner, and he showed it to Bob Proctor or maybe someone that Bob Proctor knew and said, what do I need to do in order to get a woman like this? And apparently he turned around and said, oh, no, 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 no. It's not what you need to do. It's who do you need to become in order to get a woman like that? So that's powerful. So I think there was a combination of me becoming the person that was worthy of that woman and also having clarity around what that woman looked like and who she was. And the combination of the two allowed me to find her and it allowed her to be receptive enough to want me back. And yeah, yeah, now we're married and we're in Spain temporarily and eventually, yeah, we'll be Americans together. Wow, that's that is awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, just to develop this a little bit further and really go the edge like we sometimes do, I've said uh, many times that uh, no matter what kind of freak you are, you're not the only freak in the world. And whatever type of 
you know, weird, freaky, out there type person, individual that uh, doesn't fit into any norm, or you think that you're never going to find a person who can match, uh, you know, what you like, or, you know, some of the things you like, but you don't exactly post on a public forum, if you know what I mean, there is Mm -hmm. somebody out there. And even if you're the strangest looking person out there on top of it, there's somebody out there who is into someone just like you, the way you look, the way you act, and the things you want. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, 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 and until you crystallize that, you're never going to find that person. You're always going to be compromising because you'll never find one that fits. I recently found out from a girl that there was a forum on Reddit about women that only date men that have killed a guy. <laughs> see see what I see what I mean? Uh yeah. So if if your goal is to like let's let's say for example that you're a woman and you want to date men who have murdered their wives. Well, you know, <laughs> on the good news, you know they're single. <laughs> <laughs> and they probably always will be, which is the problem for them. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. She's uh, she's taking it in her hands, and he might go for a repeat. But uh, you know, to each their to each their own. Free will. It's not my job to tell people how to live their lives. All I can do is provide an example of myself. And if anybody has curiosity about that, to allow them to enjoy that curiosity, and vice versa. I don't believe we have the right to tell each other how to think, how to believe, how to feel, how to act. Uh, you know, other than staying within the parameters of what makes for a respectable, polite society. But beyond that, I'm all in favor of we all we the best we can do for the world is project out what we have that we can share and provide an example for others to follow. Uh, for example, um, I'll give you an example. Um, being, uh, you know, being vegan myself, I, uh, I get a lot, you know, they say, how do you tell if somebody's vegan? Just give them five minutes. I'll fucking tell you. Well, I, let me tell you a story. How many times have I been out to, to restaurants with groups of people and I, and when a server comes over, I say, yeah, um, how big are your salads? Oh, they're that big. Cool. Could you make one double that size and just make Mm. sure that it doesn't have any meat on it and uh, leave off the cheese and substitute the ranch for the vinaigrette? And that'll be awesome. Yeah. Ranch has has meat in it, is it? Uh, That, that, well, yeah, it has dairy in it. That's why I said replace it with the vinaigrette. Yeah. Yeah. So then I start getting the questions. Uh, are you vegan? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, where do you get your protein? Uh, how, how, how did you, how do you manage to, but everybody loves cheeseburgers. And what do you do when you go to Thanksgiving dinner and there's turkey? It's, it's like, I just, I just want my salad. Yeah. I just want, it's more weird if you're not, if you're not vegan, if you go to Bali. Yeah. It's like, I just, what my damn salad i wasn't going to say nothing about those dozen buffalo wings you just ordered i wasn't going to tell you where they came from but if we want to have that conversation since you started it we can have that conversation hey about those ribs uh, you know why they're called ribs yeah we can do this see the point being is it's not for me to preach to other people uh all I wanted was my salad the way I wanted it and then they were able to provide it that was good enough for me there was no conversation needed to be had if people wanted to be curious about that, 
that's perfectly fine. But if they want to start with uh, gotcha questions and and mocking questions and how could I possibly do that? And, and where do you get your pro? Oh, believe me, I get more protein than they do. Believe me on that. Uh, let me I mean, let me just tell you that uh, that's not me preaching. And that's also not the type of interrogatory that we really serve ourselves best by indulging. Now, if somebody has legitimate questions, wants to have a separate conversation, like, hey, how'd you do that? And what's that like? And uh, where do you find great recipes? Uh, did that make you feel any differently or anything like that? If they want to have that within the context of a private conversation that they initiate, I'll, I'll share with them all day long. See, it's not me to say, you're eating ribs. That's evil. That came from a living being. That's not my place. My mm. place is only to be who I am and allow people to take that as they will. Yeah, and that's why I like that's why I like coming on podcasts like this because I don't have to tell anybody. Oh, you need to live your life better. You need to get up at five a.m. You need to push harder. You need, you know, I'm here to say, look, this is my story, and this is what I've been through, and this is hope and inspiration that you can get out the other side, and actually make you know turning this full circle now the title of this podcast and radio show turning your adversity into an asset i can truly say that i'm grateful for everything that's ever happened to me you know whether yeah. it's walking in and finding my dad dead or being sexually abused and all those things it was just part of my journey it was teaching me it was priming me uh, and it's turned me into the person that i am today and when you're in the thick of that trauma or that darkness, it's very difficult to see the light, but you got to understand that there is an alternate version of your story out there. If you choose to find it and yeah. the more people that watch this or listen to podcasts, sorry, listen to podcasts, right. like this, the more people that will be able to understand that and hopefully apply that in their life because it's real. It's really, really mm -hmm. guys hear it from me. Like you can change. And I believe in you that you can change. And sometimes that's all you need to hear. Right. And in my, yeah. And in my, yeah, and in my work, working with people to, to launch your podcasts, one of the valid reasons for doing so is sometimes because you got a story to tell. You got something to get off your chest. Mm. You got something to burn through. And using that forum to do it attracts others who can be inspired by your story. Absolutely. Put out your, yeah. put out your vibe and you'll attract your tribe, they say, don't they? Yeah. I, I I found it's it's weird uh, when I when I tell stories about myself that uh, sometimes reflect me and you know you can go through some of my other episodes and see that I've sometimes been a very very naughty mean person at times uh, I've not I've had incidences that were not my finest hour well as I like to say in order for you to have had a finest hour that means all the other ones had to have been not as good and some of them very mm -hmm. bad yeah. Because other, otherwise, your finest hour is just another hour. And how boring is that? Hmm. I've got one question for you, Adam. Yeah. Why am I staring at a black pussy right now? <laughs> for, our, for our listeners, um, for our listeners, what you need to know is that these episodes are done over Zoom. Uh, they're audio only, and I've and there are various reasons why. But the biggest reason I don't do radio or more engagements because I just don't feel like it. Uh, the, the the business creators radio show is where I get to mastermind with people. I like to be in a place of absolute comfort. I want to do the raise the roof gesture, and I don't want to sit here and hold my media pose for an hour and almost break my back just to conduct an interview. That's not what we're here for. And we've also found that the majority of our listeners. When I've done surveys and inquiries, 
tend to listen to the Business Creators Radio Show streaming it while they're actively doing something else, which is also why I occasionally go off on tangents or go off on rants. The idea is to create pattern interrupts to get you, the listener, to sit up and say, whoa, whoa, what did I just miss? Mm-hmm. Instead of the blah, 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 from the teacher and peanuts. Now, what's happening here is that every <laughs> month, every month I switch between my two office supervisors their names are princess alessandra francesca and princess stella juliana they are nine-year-old domestic short hair black cats they own me and they are involved in the post-production of all of our episodes <laughs> right and i'm a cat daddy myself i have three yeah. cats oh <laughs> nice nice so so Louis, what you see on your screen right now um it's alessandra's turn to be the avatar that I lo- I load up uh, to display when I'm on Zoom calls. She's actually physically sitting right next to me right now. Oh. Uh, yep. So uh, she hangs out with me a lot when I do these. Well, actually, my wife has two cats at her parents' house that are hers that she will eventually uh, bring into our house, and I have three. So actually, combined, we already have five cats. Wow, it's gonna be like it's gonna be like a feline Brady bunch almost, a blended family. Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So what happens is I, I switch them every month. Now uh, I go on webinars that are done as Zoom meetings. I go on team meetings on Zoom. I go to my networking group, and you know, once a month I sw- switch the cat back and forth. And I've heard people say, "You really should turn your camera on because that will make you more feel more personal, and people will engage with you more." And meanwhile, I walk in. I walk into that webinar, show a picture of my cat. Comments light up with "Oh, what a pretty kitty!" I get in those comments. I start making friends. I walk out. Of, I walk out of there with friend requests, connection requests, and and bookings on my calendar. So, so what you're saying is your your black pussy has more attraction than yourself. I certainly have a face for radio. Fortunately, God also gave me the voice, <laughs> so that um, so at least He was consistent when handing out the attributes, which again is uh, turning your adversity into your assets i i do have a face for radio but you know what i can have a sense of humor about that which creates more affinity for those who choose to accept me into their lives and the positive part of it is i've been told by many people that i have a voice for radio there are places i go where they've nicknamed me the producer nice i've had i've had people i've been sitting i've sat in restaurants cigar shops uh tea houses and had people just randomly walk up to me and ask me if i was in fact that dj they hear on the radio do you do the uh when you help people with the podcast do you help them with their intros and their jingles that's 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 actually a specific piece of what we do so let's wrap up with you here uh we're at the top of the hour here and uh you have an invitation for our audience and i'm going to share it on your behalf now there's a link there there is a link i'm going to say it out loud one time but i'm going to tell you all subscribe to the show go to our website look in the show notes you'll see the invitation i'm going to give you the link and i'm explain what it is it's at thecoachingmasters.com Oh. Forward, slash, so forward slash course hyphen checkout hyphen oh, accreditation. That's not, that's actually, I've got a different link. Sorry about that. Oh, you're going to change links on me midstream here. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry about that. My team must have messed up there. So it's, I got a short link for you. So it's easier to remember. So it's okay. www.tcm for the coaching masters dot link 
right? Forward slash ACC. ACC? So it's, it's basically tcm.link forward slash ACC. ACC. Okay. So you're going to go to tcm.link forward slash ACC. Let's do that instead. Thank you. Thank you for saving us a lot of trouble because there is a discount applied to this actually. Yep. There it is yeah. right there. There it is right there. So basically what it is, it's the transformative coaching training. Uh, you get interactive workshops and it comes with an accreditation. If you're looking for accreditation as a coach, there are different payment options. And if you could just tell us in about 30 seconds, what exactly this does for the end consumer. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame because my, uh, my team haven't involved me in this one. They put you straight to the checkout page, guys. So what I would advise you to do is go on our website, thecoachingmasters.com, thecoachingmasters.com. Check out the accreditation so you can just learn about what's in there. But essentially, it's a 12-week live interactive coach training program. But by the time at the, you get to the end, you would be an accredited coach and you'd, you would have also practiced and had feedback and, you know, been really involved in the coaching process um so you can actually go off and start a coaching business as simple as that it's usually so this link is for a, a special discount for you guys right. it's usually two thousand nine hundred ninety seven dollars but you guys just for this podcast and it's actually the lowest discount we've ever given and it was just because that was something that was asked for and i was like yeah why not it's 50 percent off so if you're looking to become a life coach, and that doesn't have to be a life coach, that could be any coach, like I mentioned, confidence, empowerment, business, fulfillment, yep. whatever, and you haven't got the credentials, nor the training, nor the confidence, this is the three-month program um, and our flagship program that's built us a $25 billion business and you know attracted 7,000 clients from right. 81 countries around the world. So you know it's not some of that usual fluff you might see online. So yeah, check it out. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So let me just say that link one more time, tcm.link forward slash ACC. And with that, Lewis Raymond Taylor, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.